This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week here on the bridge of the NX-01, once again, is Sebastian Pruth. Sebastian, you're looking a little bit green today. Yeah, I think it might have been the uh, plow meat broth I ate right before <laughs> we started. Yeah, I stay away from that stuff. Plow meat and leola root, both. They're, they're off my menu. But, but, you know, both of those could potentially make you a bit green. But what would really make you green, Sebastian, is what we're going to talk about today. And that's just being born as an Orion. I thought it was going to be if I saw someone else with an Orion slave girl, I'd be green with envy. Green with envy, right? Okay, I can understand that. <laughs> Especially the, the Orion women in Enterprise, which we're going to talk about today. We do these from time to time here on Warp 5, where we talk about races that we've seen in Star Trek before that we see on Enterprise and how the writers handled those races because a race like the Orions, who appeared in the original series, and then we really didn't see them afterwards, when you're dealing with a prequel series like Enterprise and you have to tell that backstory, how do you handle those aliens? And Enterprise did an interesting thing with them in that they introduced them, I felt pretty much in line with the stereotype of what we think of Orions, even though we knew very, very little about them from TOS. And then they put their own twist on them and started to make them a more interesting race. So we're going to talk all about that today. But before we do that, we always like to give a little background about these races because there are a lot of Enterprise fans out there who don't really know the original series. They they love Enterprise and they love the characters. And maybe they don't know the origins from TOS of everything. So a little bit of background here, uh, Sebastian. When you think of TOS and you think of Orions, it's really just the slave girls, right? For me, yes. <laughs> You've got that <laughs> image you know, in your head, right? Th- there is no other thing. You know, they always say in Star Trek, whether you're watching the original series... I think they mentioned them once or twice in Next Gen and in Deep Space. It's always Orion slave girls, and they're always some of the most desirable things in the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And of course, on Deep Space Nine, we also had the Orion Syndicate, which played a role in Honor Among Thieves and Prodigal Daughter, although those aren't the green Orions that we think of, because prior to Enterprise, Orion males were never shown. Right. And we didn't see the Orion males until Enterprise, like you said, and then we saw them and they're these big kind of muscular guys. And you think, oh, wow, yes, those are definitely the dudes who are strong arming these women into these acts and behaving in the way that they do and being sold as slaves. And then, of course, you find out that's not the way it is. But they definitely set you up to think that by mm-hmm. showing you these kind of big guys who big mm-hmm. voices and scary dudes. You know, I'm curious, and we'll talk about this in just a little bit. I'm curious if the twist that they put on them in Bound was actually conceived when they were writing Borderland, or it just kind of came about later, and Borderland was just, you know, Orions are slavers, so... We're just going to do this scene. It would make sense that maybe Manny Cotto, who probably, I think he was the showrunner for season four, right, mm-hmm. um, probably had an idea of where he was going for the rest of the season. Because, you know, mm-hmm. they plan out all the episodes pretty much at the beginning, at least the first half, if not the whole thing. So he probably had an idea. We're going to see the slave girls. We're going to get everybody kind of interested in them again. And then mm-hmm. we're going to explain it later on. Mm-hmm. So in TOS, oh, one point here, though, you talked about, you know, they're, they're the big guys. Yeah. In Borderland, the guy that picks up to Paul, who doesn't actually have a name in the episode, he's actually credited just as Orion Slaver number one, was played by the Big Show, who yes. was the wrestler. Big Show is seven feet, two inches, and 500 pounds. Yep. Amazing. And, and, and to Paul <laughs> took him down with a swift kick. Yeah, don't mess with T'Pol. <laughs> he talked about uh, in an old interview in Star Trek Communicator when Enterprise was actually in production, Big Show talked about how nervous he was in handling Jolene Blaylock because of the, the size difference. And he was worried he was going to accidentally turn her into putty with his giant hands, you know, having to pick her up like that. Well, you know, I've seen Big Show in another show, another TV show as well. Uh, he was on Royal Pains. Mm. Uh, uh, a while ago and he was um, uh, playing another kind of larger than life character I suppose he's typecast to be this enormous scary or incredibly gentle giant depending on which way you want to go right exactly well he can be scary early on and then as he gets older he can be the gentle giant you know he can follow the same pattern as like Arnold Schwarzenegger and these guys and uh, do, do kitty movies later on Yeah, but at least he played a really cool sort of slave master in Borderland. And, you know, when he's screaming, slaves are loose, and he's screaming it, and he's like spitting at it. You you don't think, oh, this guy's not an actor. I mean, he really comes off well as an actor, Mm -hmm. not just as, you know, somebody from the World Wrestling Federation who kind of steps into it. He, He comes across as an actor. Yeah. So within TOS, though, we saw... In the cage, which of course didn't air, so no one saw that until the 80s, we have Vina as an Orion slave girl. So we saw that there. And of course, that footage was used in the Menagerie, which is how everyone knows about it, even though it was shot for the cage. And then after that, we don't really see, you know, a whole lot more of them. There is Journey to Babel in season two, 
where there is an Orion, but it's an Orion spy who is disguised as an Andorian, and that was Thelif. So he was actually an Orion spy. So we don't actually see the green Orions running around anywhere. And then in season three, we have Whom Gods Destroy, where we have Marta, who is an Orion slave girl who is there with Garth of Izar. And that's it. So except for the spy in Journey to Babel, all we get in TOS are these seductive Orion slave girls. So after that, in the animated series, we get to see Orions two more times. And these are, these are funny. There's an episode, The Time Trap, which is the last episode, I believe, of the first season of TAS. I always consider TAS as just one long thing because the second season has like five episodes, six episodes in it. But this episode, The Time Trap, the Enterprise gets pulled into this other, it's like a pocket, I think they describe it in the episode as, it's like a pocket in the garment of the universe is what the Orion girl explains to them. And she's like the head of the council of all of these races that we're familiar with, like Vulcans and Tellarites and everyone who have gotten pulled in here before. But the funny thing about it is that she's standing there and she looks like an Orion slave girl and she's got the little bikini top and the bikini bottom on. But she talks like some kind of angel. It's like a fairy out of Legend of Zelda or something like this. Well, you, you mentioned something before, just stepping back to TOS for just one moment. You mentioned uh, Telef. Uh-huh. Uh, it was interesting that he was a spy because it kind of is a precursor to the fact that the Orion Syndicate are these sort of uh, Chicago, New York mob kind of people who, you know, squeeze people to get what they want in various mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they're doing kind of clandestine things all the way back then. And as a connection to that, when we get to demons and enterprise, when we have the council meeting, we find out that the Orions have been trading with the Tellarites for a long time. They've also been trading with Coradine. And that is, if you look back to Journey to Babel, then you can see why the Orions had a spy on the Enterprise as they're traveling to that conference, because they really wanted to disrupt what was going to happen there. They didn't want these worlds to come together because another thing that you don't really pick up on very much unless you watch the animated series is the fact that the Orions were maintaining neutrality all this time. They were basically like the Switzerland of space pirates. Well, maybe not so much the Switzerland. I mean, th- those guys are really kind of intense. I mean, they're going out there attacking starships in the middle of nowhere, in the, you know, in the borderlands and, and stealing yes. people and, and taking but them away. And- as a political front, though, they were. But it was all a cover, of course, for their piracy that was going on behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, the they try to keep everything kind of hush hush, and even down to as we were saying, I think right before the show, the the it's kind of hard to imagine how the women are actually the ones in control. Yeah, and how the, how they how they're pulling that off, but how obviously the Orion Syndicate are masters of deception. They are. Another thing that's interesting in the animated series. So, so the next episode after the time trap, which is called the Pirates of Orion or as they're pronounced on the animated series by everyone, including themselves, the Orions, 
they uh, the whole thing centers around them attacking a Federation starship, hijacking it to get the dilithium from the ship. But the ship is carrying medicine that is critical for Spock. Spock is going to die within probably two days, three days, unless the Enterprise can get this medicine that's being transported to them. And they have a face-off with Kirk. And the Orions in that episode are hilarious because the voices... They're just so friendly. Like they don't they don't sound like they would hurt you at all. They look like, you know, typical comic book cartoon villains, the way they look. And it's kind of a funny episode, but they go on and on about their neutrality in there, which uh is it does more for who the Orions are leading up to what we eventually see in Enterprise and beyond than the original series did. Now, is that some sort of commentary on the current political climate at the time where there would have been people who were neutral against, I'm not sure, was that 1975-ish or 73, when was that? 73, Yeah. So, I mean, there was all sorts of political strife in the mm-hmm. West and all around the world at that time. I wonder if Star Trek was doing what it does best and commenting on that. Yeah. It may have been, you know, I haven't really looked into that or thought about that angle too much, but I will say that the animated series stories are generally written in the way the TOS stories were written. They're not really written for kids on Saturday morning. So even though the animation is not great, if you like Star Trek stories, there's something in there for you. Well, you also mentioned something, though, about the original series and the, the, the animated series. You should also mention that in the games, in the 25th anniversary mm, game mm. back in like 1991. I, I had that on PC. I yeah. love that game. And yeah. uh, they used to fight the Orion Pirates. Uh-huh. And they were human beings. <laughs> essentially they, they, just, they, yeah. just, they just look like normal i remember the guy kind of appeared on the view screen with his hand kind of a, across his metal and he would say you know captain kirk you're you're violating our space and here's 16 starships to destroy you you know it's like because basically if you ventured off course you either got destroyed by the klingons the romulans or the orion pirates Mm-hmm. So I thought it was, you know, it's worth mentioning that maybe there's an offshoot of the Orions, which are human beings as well, kind of the way that there were some Klingons with smooth foreheads. Could could be, you know, and when you when you think about the Orion Syndicate, for example, and the fact that on DS9, those aren't the green Orions that we always think of. I mean, they are an organized crime group, so it is natural that there, there may be others within that system, uh, within that group possibly even slaves themselves right yeah exactly so let's uh go on and move on into enterprise now and and talk about them here so this is all the setup this is where they came from but then we get to enterprise and the first time that we see orions is in the fourth season when enterprise had shifted under the guidance of manny koto to being the actual TOS prequel that most people were expecting from the start. And so they start bringing in these races that are very popular within Star Trek lore that we've heard about, but we don't know much about. And the first time we see them, as we mentioned earlier, was in Borderland, which is the first part of the Augments arc. And we see them there on Varex 3. And it is a slave trading outpost. And... 
I think that it does serve to set up what we'll see later on in the season in Bound in terms of the women being sold. But at this point, it does feel very much like Star Trek fans, remember the Orions? Remember the slave girls? Here they are again. And we're going to show you how they're actually auctioned off. And we're going to give you that feel of Orions that you've always wanted to see. Yeah, and um, they showed us um, some kind of captured people from Enterprise. You know, there mm-hmm. were people in their Starfleet outfits and there were just random people running around this really kind of uh, really rustic starbase, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Variks 3. And then uh, the the main girl that was being sold, played by uh, Bobby Sue Luther. She was, um, I guess she was the one that they were kind of focusing on saying, and she went for a lot of whatever money they use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't remember if it was, I think it was civics or something. It was like 20 million civics, not even my last <laughs> wife stole for that much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was interesting with her too, because she didn't really know the lore of Orion slave girls. And she went in for a casting call. And went back out, told her friends, I just did this casting, I did this audition for a role that is a seductive green girl. And her friends said, wow, oh, that's an Orion slave girl. And then she she came to learn how well known this character in this race was amongst Star Trek fans. Oh, yeah. It's kind of, in some way, some sort of honor to be a an Orion slave girl, I would expect. I mean, you, you mentioned that you had uh, one of the ladies who portrayed one of the Orion slave girls mm-hmm. on this show previously. Yeah, Crystal was Allen. She, she must have been pretty excited about playing one as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it was fun. You know, she's a trained dancer. And one of the things that they were looking for were actresses who could actually dance for those scenes in Bound that take place there on the ship. She talked about walking around the set and how scantily clad they were and the reactions of crew and extras. It was it was a fun discussion we had. That's actually Warp 541, so if anyone wants to go hear that, it's called The Green Girl, uh, which is not about the documentary that George Pappy did. That's actually just the title of the episode, and that's uh, Crystal Allen who played Dinesh. Yeah, I'm going to have to go listen to that one. I, I just finished watching Bound right before we started recording this show. So it's very mm-hmm. fresh in my mind. And, you know, was, I, I find myself every time I watch episodes of Star Trek now, because I have seen them so many times, I start looking in the background more. I'm, I'm kind of focusing on what's not happening in the scene because I can play in my mind what happened in the scene but it's Mm kind of like what are they doing what is the orion slave girl who's not the one in 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 the center of the picture doing what's the one in the background doing how Mm -hmm. is she acting right now Mm -hmm. so i was kind of focusing on what you know crystal allen and the other uh woman who played one of the roles while navarre was talking you Mm -hmm. know when she was talking to archer and trying to control him what were they doing how were they helping and support her in that effort it is interesting what they did with them there. I'll also mention, this isn't an Enterprise thing. This is actually an original series thing. But another great take on the Orions is on Star Trek Continues. If you go watch the episode Lolani, which is their second full episode, uh, they have a great take on the Orions there, uh, both from the male perspective and the female perspective. 
So, well, let's talk about the specifics here. And uh, we, we talked about, we've already talked actually a good bit about what happens in Borderland and the way that they are presented. If you were going to do more, maybe an exercise here in imagining, because that's the first part of the augment arc. Do you feel like that as a writer, do you feel like they could have done more with the Orions through that entire arc as opposed to just having them there? Sort of almost what I feel like is more like a cameo at that point. Like it's familiar TOS territory, but then we go on with the rest of the story of the augments. Well, if you were going to use a little bit more of them, if it was somehow, if it came down, yeah, we'd like to see some more Orions in this in this story, uh, in this three-part thing. They could have made it so that the Orions were more involved in helping Eric Sung. Because mm-hmm. he was kind of using, he's like, well, they've been taken there and he used them to escape when he was there. He, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, was that was all in his mind. So if maybe he had made a few phone calls and somehow had arranged it, maybe they could have had a ship there for him to steal or something like that. And he could have had a more robust relationship with them than what, than what we saw on the screen. And then we would have seen them kind of helping out a criminal, which would have been completely consistent with them being organized crime. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing they could have done that might have been interesting tying into the Orion's role as pirates would be if the Orions had actually stolen the Augment embryos and they had to recover those embryos from from them. If they'd either if they could have stolen the embryos, they could have been they could have been the military force that instead of stealing a Klingon ship. Mm-hmm. They could have stolen, an, they could have been given an Orion ship. Oh, and then they could have made it look like the one in the animated series, which I don't know how that design came to be, but it doesn't scream Orion or Orion to me in any way. Orion. I love that. It's or, or, Orion. Well, uh, what's hilarious is Orion is actually a real constellation. For, right. Everybody knows that. And yeah. It, Orion's belt and the fact that Orion is up there and it's been Orion forever to suddenly change the pronunciation to Orion. It's very strange. Yeah. I have to go back and look to find out uh, linguistically if that was a, an alternate pronunciation at the time though, because it could have been. And, and uh, also what is the pronunciation in the original language as well? So maybe but but knowing in english we typically say orion but it, it really we caught do. me off guard i'm like wow and every and every time liam bilby says it in deep space every time arat czar says it in bound it's yeah. and even back in tos that's what got me really was that in tos it's orion and yet in there it's different but anyway that's a minor detail but that's it's, just fun to, it's, it's fun to kick that but, around. But yeah, the idea yeah, of having a ship, having having that be uh, where they have to go to recover uh, the embryos. Yeah, I, I guess the thing, though, with the Augment arc is that ultimately it, it has a close parallel to Khan and, and what happened with uh, the Wrath of Khan and Space Seed all the way down to the point to what we see at the end with Malik, who I've actually always called a poor man's Khan because they almost replay the ending of the Wrath of Khan 
in that final episode where he's climbing up to touch, you know, to hit the controls on the panel and everything, which was really disappointing. Yes. Spitting his last breath at V. Yes. But that's the story they wanted to tell was to kind of parallel that eugenics and augment thing. And so I, I understand why they did it that way. But since we're talking about Orion's today, that could have certainly been another way to go with the story. Well, they could have maybe even had like a mixed crew. They could the the mm-hmm. augments could have enslaved mm-hmm. the Orions, true, because yeah. of their you know their superior intelligence and strength. I mean, they could mm-hmm. easily control them physically and mentally to oh. uh, to do whatever they wanted. Then you could have had a fight scene between Alec Newman, who played Malik, who was quite small, and Big Show, but Malik would win. Unfortunately, yes, he would win. I mean, you know, and the actor did a really good job, I think, with what they gave him. I, I, yeah. I think that was a pretty good uh, approximation of Khan. You know, I mean, if if you're not Ricardo Montalban, yeah, that it's a good point. If I think only about Alec Newman portraying what they gave him, I would give him credit for that. I thought Malik was poorly written. Yes, and I also thought that there was this one scene and i know this is kind of going off topic but <laughs> there was yeah, this we are a little one bit off topic <laughs> there was this point. one moment in i think it was either borderland or the augments can't remember yeah where the scene in that they kill rockin mm-hmm. and he says well i helped you when you were little remember pulled you from the river when you fell in Mm-hmm. There was that line. And I, before I even saw the that scene, the first time I watched that episode, when he said, I helped you when you were little, I thought, oh, he's going to say he pulled him out of a river. Oh, really? And, yeah. Oh, he pulls him out of a I thought, oh, that's such lazy, lazy writing. Yeah. That's almost at what I would do. Whereas when we're writing a story... We will put things in there to hold a place. Right. And then go like, back and you know, come up with something else. Yeah. Pull them out of the river. Yeah. And then we'll go back and come up with something a little, you know, a little bit more original. Yeah. But unfortunately they didn't in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Well those are yeah, those are yeah, some of the things that do detract from that arc a little bit. But we've actually uh, we've done that arc here too. So anyone listening who wants to hear more thoughts on that you can go back to Warp 510, so way back early on. We did the whole augment arc, talked about all three parts together. It's like a Julia Child thing. It's like, and here's one yeah. that we prepared earlier. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's pull it out of the oven. This one's, this show's already baked. There you go. <laughs> and this one's already done. I did this one perfectly. The one I just did, I didn't put enough oregano in, but this one is perfect. <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't think we've put enough Orion into this part of the discussion. So let's get back on track talking about Orions. But I did think it would be interesting because they do appear in that arc. It would be interesting to just kind of speculate from a writing perspective how you might have used them a little bit more. Absolutely. So then we move on to Bound, which is really the highlight for the Orions, not only in Enterprise, but in Star Trek in general. Mm -hmm. Very interesting episode, uh, both creatively visually, and I'm not just saying because the women were scantily clad, but how they they portrayed the, the surroundings and the settings for the Orions also was, was interesting, how you're portraying this pirate culture who is taking objects and pulling things in from all around. And what's most interesting about it, though, is that we find out that everything we've always believed about the Orions is not true. 
The women are not slaves. Actually, the men are slaves to the women. The women are the ones who are calling the shots. Which isn't that just what marriage is anyway? I was about to say the exact thing. <laughs> like, if you're listening to this and you're married, you know that that is reality, and uh, so that's what they're going with here. But <laughs> well, <laughs> it's an interesting idea, though that. And there are a couple of angles to it. So the way it's presented on Enterprise is that the men sell off these women, and I guess I should do air quotes here, sell these women on the trade auctions as part of plots to to take over ships or carry out other plans to get other things that they're after because the women, they're the ones who are actually orchestrating everything and they have these pheromones that make most humanoid men, it seems, very aggressive and agitated, and it makes them easy to influence and to do what you want them to do. And it also, as we find out from Enterprise, makes human females kind of agitated as well. It disrupts the sleep cycle of denobulans, and of course Vulcans are immune to the effects, but they have these pheromones that they can use so what we come to learn is that it's kind of all a cover and part of a scheme in their pirate operations. Well, yes. Um, I'd like to, you, you mentioned something right at the beginning when you were talking about Bound, which I, I really want to cover, mm-hmm. which is I thought they did some really beautiful set design. Right. The set of the uh, the pirate captain's entertainment room where he brought uh, exactly. Scott and, and um, Dominic to sit and watch the girls dance. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, It's this really great, colorful place. Mm-hmm. And the, he's holding up a, a glass and he's kind of filling it with this sort of cool uh, sort of gravy boat mm-hmm. almost thing with the... Uh, with, with what he's serving them and he's telling him it's from the Gorn hegemony and it's kind of, it, yeah. you're deep in Star Trek, right? It's, it, it feels like you're swimming in the mud of, of, of Star Trek lore. Right. He's, mm-hmm, it, he's mm-hmm. an Orion on an Orion ship talking about the Gorn mm-hmm. and they're talking about building warp cores. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, this, this is Star it's, Trek. It's like Archer and his crew and the NX-01, they, they suddenly flew into the Star Trek universe, right? Well, I, I always really <laughs> liked Enterprise from the very beginning. I so. did too. I did too. But when you think of it as a prequel series, suddenly now you're in the middle of everything that you've heard about before, right? I actually felt that it was a little bombardment. I did too. In the, in, I've in said season that four. over and over on the show here, actually. I, yeah. I just felt like, you know, it's a little too much of a muchness. I, I, I got my Klingons, my Orions. Every... But they're making up for lost time is what it felt like. Like we have, we, we don't have much time left. We're going to be canceled. We've got to make up for not doing this for the past three seasons. So let's cram it all in here. But I felt like what they were doing in the first three seasons, mm-hmm. the variety, the people we, we were introduced to, the kinds of stories I was really kind of along for that ride. And then Mm -hmm. in season four, yes, I was excited to learn about the Klingons. I loved seeing the Orions. We had to deal with the Romulans, but not Mm -hmm. know they were Romulans. And of course, we flesh out the Vulcans in a way that was never done. 
ever in Star and, Trek oh, yeah. before. And we got to see the Vulcans and have that whole episode. We actually got to see the same actor do the same thing in two different shows. In mm-hmm. Deep Space, Robert Foxworth played Admiral Layton, and he he armed Earth for an in, uh, for a non-existent Dominion invasion. Mm-hmm. And in Enterprise, Robert Foxworth played a Vulcan admiral who mm-hmm. armed Vulcan against a non-existent. <laughs> uh andorian invasion <laughs> great point yeah so he was used to that role <laughs> that's a good point yeah great parallel there so with uh with bound though i mean tell me tell me what you think about this i know we were talking before the show and and what did you say you said that it's a good idea maybe in theory that the women are running things but maybe it doesn't Absolutely. really make sense to you well it's not so much that they're, it's the women are running things and that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me that most of the time they're being slave girls, uh-huh. but somehow they're actually running things. Well, so what do they do? Like run into the other room, put on a, a military outfit and jump onto the bridge and take command of a starship because Aratzar seems to be in command there. And then he's like, oh, you're operating under a misconception. It is the women that control us. Is it kind of in theory? Because maybe the women just have that same sexual control over them mm-hmm. that they have over the humans that we see. And it's not really a military control or a corporate control or even a, a like a godfatherly like control because mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. the syndicate. Mm-hmm. But it's more like they just control them because they know the, the, the men know where they're going to get it kind of thing. If they, if they, if they treat the women the way they expect to be treated and follow orders. Yeah. I, I, I pictured it as overall. And, and so, okay. So some of this comes probably from the novels. Sometimes I have trouble keeping straight where the line is between what we know on screen and what we know from novels here. Christopher L. Bennett has written two books so far, and there's going to be more called Rise of the Federation, and these are Enterprise novels, and the Orions, uh, and even the the ladies that we see here in Bound play a role in that hmm. as well. And one thing that we do learn is that it wasn't always that way. There was a time when the men dominated Orion society, and then it flipped, and now the women are in control. So, so it truly is a commentary on us. Mm. Yeah, exactly. well, <laughs> I think so, yeah, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, because if if men are always in control, the world is going to be at war all the time. So I think you need some more there is kinder level-headed input on, on events, uh, which you can get when you have more women in leadership roles. But as far as the Orions are concerned there was this flip in the society. And this isn't maybe really fleshed out that much uh, on the screen here. But I also think that when he says the women are in control, what we're seeing here, like in Bound, with what they're trying to do on the Enterprise, this is one mission that's going on. But if you go back to the planet, it's probably not, not everyone is going to be part of the syndicate or part of, of any of these operations. So there the women are maybe operating the society and the men are on the lower end of that power balance. And these slave girls, the people that they send out here, maybe are operatives. These are people that are trained to carry out these missions. 
That makes sense. That's a good way of looking at it. I, mm-hmm. I, I just was kind of a little disappointed with the way that they did that in mm-hmm. Enterprise because it was always kind of, and, and, and I say this as a, as a warm-blooded male, it was always kind of nice to imagine that these slave girls were out there kind of like you could have this Orion slave girl and she would do whatever you wanted. You know, it's like, okay. obviously she doesn't exist because it's in Star Trek, but it's, they kind of just, they got rid of that fantasy for okay. everybody. Okay. So you're saying, you're saying within the Star Trek universe, because I agree that looking at it from a science, so I'm not trying to objectify women here or anything. Looking no, no, at it no, from within the fictional universe, the Orion slave girl was presented as that sort of fantasy because that's what the mm-hmm. Telosians were showing Captain Pike in the cage. Yeah, that was and Golduka asks for one, and right. uh, yeah. that guy that they bring in to make the fake Cardassian meeting, he says, "Oh, you want something special? Something oh, yeah, with that alien five or that they six Orion yeah, slave yeah, yeah, girls." Yeah, I mean, yeah. it is a known thing. Yeah. You, you know. It seems like everybody likes them. Yeah. So they so kind of crushed that. Perpetuated that fantasy throughout Star Trek up until Bound. And then, as you're saying, they sort of crushed that mm-hmm. fantasy within geekdom mm-hmm. with this new storyline. Right. See, for me, I don't mind that because I actually, I find, I mean, I know it's that's kind of a geek thing, okay? There's the green alien seductive woman. But for what I look for in stories, I like what they did here. I like the idea that the Orions, there's something really complex going on within their society. And there's a long-term struggle where the women have flipped the table on the men. And how does that all play out? And it's something where I wish Enterprise had gone for seven seasons and they could have continued to revisit this. And we find out more and more about the Orions at that point. Maybe in season four, one of them would defect through Robert Orchie's um, Underground Railroad. Oh, okay. Because remember, he I don't know if you saw this, but there was some questions about how is there an Orion slave girl in Starfleet and Star Trek Into Darkness? <laughs> and he said, well, there's an Underground Railroad <laughs> for these girls to, to, to come to freedom. So, so that's ma- his ma- explanation. Maybe one of them, so okay. one of them comes out and joins Starfleet and joins the crew of Enterprise. Uh, that's, and, um, um, that's a weird explanation. And actually... I'm surprised he would say that because he oversees the ongoing comics. And in the ongoing comics, there are Orion officers in Starfleet. So I've always just seen it as that in that alternate timeline, one thing that is different is that the Orions actually are members of the Federation and they have people attending the Academy. It's kind of like seeing the Cardassian helmsman in Future Imperfect. You just kind of accept it. Yeah, it kind of it goes that, that way. Because also in Into Darkness, there's an Orion woman who, who walks by. We just see her pass by and Khan passes her on the street in London, I believe. It's just on screen for a second. She doesn't have a name or anything like that, but she's green. So they're like Orion, and she's a civilian, actually. So there are Orion civilians on Earth in the 23rd century in that timeline. And we should also mention that because we are talking about Star Trek, which is a story and it's infinite possibilities, mm-hmm. there could be other green people that don't actually have to be Orions. Oh, there could be. Although in Into Darkness, they're definitely Orions. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, because I wasn't you've got, paying too much attention. I only saw that movie once. Well, you've got the cadet. I mean, there is an Orion cadet. I mean, Kirk is in bed with her in right. 2009. So they are really Orions in, in that timeline in Starfleet. So, well, that, that's, where, that's where we ended up with them in Bound. And for those who wanted to see more of that, I suggest that you read Rise of the Federation, read those books, because that storyline is continued in there. And uh, you will see more of, of the ladies here from Bound. We should definitely talk about the syndicate, though, the, the crime side of it, because that's, that's where it gets really exciting. Yeah, that's in there too. And we find out what's going on a little bit there with the Honor Among Thieves. That was one of the best Deep Space episodes they did. So last thing here, just to touch on, talking about Orions on Enterprise, a couple of other references to them. We know from Horizon that the Orions were trading with the Earth Cargo Service as early as 2152. So there had been contact between humans and Orions prior to what we see with the NX-01 and their encounters with Orions. And then we know from Demons, which I already mentioned, I think, at the top of the show, the fact that the Orions were trading with Corridan several centuries before the events that we see here, 2155, which I think it's... We actually did a show on here. We did Subtle Connections, I think it was, with TOS one time. And we talked about just little things that they did to connect Enterprise with the original series that kind of go unnoticed. And I don't even know if we mentioned this one, but when I think about it, what, what happens in Demons is the Tellarites, they want a trade embargo established against the Orions in retaliation for alleged raids on Tellarite ships by Orion pirates. And then we also find out, as I just said, that the Orions were trading with Corridan. So then if you go all the way back to Journey to Babel, when you've got the Orion spy disguised as an Andorian, the Tellarites are also there, of course, in Journey to Babel. It's kind of a nice little setup on the timeline for Journey to Babel, where you, you establish a relationship between the Orions and the Tellarites and the Orions and the Corridans and the animosity that the Tellarites have towards the Orions. It's nice setup. And what kind of jumps out to me as well is it's nice because it's rare that mm -hmm. Star Trek honors its own continuity. Mm -hmm. And when when Star Trek does that, it's it's nice because you will go from episode to episode and they forget what happened, quote, last week compared to right. you yeah. know it, and it's kind of frustrating we especially as, got as a viewer Voyager. yeah towards the end yeah i mean it, i mean they had an unlimited supply of shuttles <laughs> <laughs> they did well i think it shows one of the one of the strong assets that enterprise had in season 4 is that you had Manny Cotto, you had Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens you had David A Goodman you had Chris Black you had all these guys who really knew the original series writing this stuff. And so they could put in these subtle connections here in ways that other writers couldn't. And they were very skilled writers. Now, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying anything against um, Rick Berman or Brandon Braga, but they'd been working on Star Trek for a really long time. Mm -hmm. 
And when they brought in Manny Cotto, who I believe became showrunner at the beginning of yep. season four, I mm-hmm. think he was put in there by the studio. And, you know, people like Mike Sussman, who really know the original series and, and know how to write. Mm-hmm. I mean, real writers who come in there and just deliver top-notch, fresh material. And I think that's what Star Trek may have been suffering from a little bit. Towards the end of season three of Enterprise, it was kind of the same mixing pot of writers. And then they kind of brought in some more. And I think if they'd given it a chance for a season five, six, seven, that we would have seen some much better stories mm-hmm. from these other writers, which mm-hmm. they brought in. Mm-hmm. Some fresher stories. Some fresher stories, yeah. Because once they got those connections out of their system and then they move right. on to, to flesh it out more, yeah, yeah. They would have started talking about stuff which was new and inventing things. And once they got over the novelty of writing Star Trek, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I can talk about Klingons. Oh my gosh, I can talk about Orion Pirates. Well, and, you know, do, it, and do it on, on screen. You know? Right. Because like the, and, and, Judith and Garfield, they've been doing it in the novels for a long time and writing some of the best Star Trek novels around. I think they've written several books that are sitting on that shelf over there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> quite a few of my favorites. All right, well, those are Orions on Enterprise. I think my final thoughts on them is that they did a nice job of giving us our fanboy moment of seeing them for the first time in Borderland and then actually doing something with them that enriched the Star Trek universe inbound by making them more than just these seductive green women that appear on screen from time to time. Yeah, um, I I agree with that. It was kind of cool to see what the 21st century did for them makeup-wise as well, especially for the males, the 21st century as opposed to doing it in 1966. The males were given like they had these bolts in their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they, They had some... Lots of accoutrements. Yeah, the costume design were, was excellent. Was the makeup cool. was excellent. Yeah, the makeup was excellent. Yeah. You didn't get the feeling that the green was going to rub off anytime soon. Right. Well, they spray painted it on them. That sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I think Big Show said he sat in a chair for six hours to be turned into an Orion. He said a lot of his friends did a double take when they saw him. Like, wait, that's you? <laughs> because he doesn't look anything like him. The he said the makeup artists are so incredibly talented and skilled and meticulous in their art. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Michael Westmore, who I, who I know, and he's incredible And Brad look and uh, all the people that worked on, on Star Trek are incredible makeup mm-hmm. artists. Definitely, if you're, definitely. if you're picked by Michael Westmore, you must be good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Sebastian, thanks for dropping by today and talking about Orion's with me before I let you go and do the closing of the show. Tell people where they can find you and then tell people what else you've got going on that they should go check out. It's been fun to drop by. Thanks for having me. If you are looking for other stuff that I'm doing or you're trying to find me online, a great place to find me is Twitter. And you can find me at Sebastian Pruth. That's S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N. 
P-R-O-O-T-H. And as you may or may not know, I produce a series for the web called Star Trek The Continuing Mission, which is an audio show we started in 2007. There's about eight shows out there. Uh, we try to make them pretty high quality, and you can find it over at Star Trek StarTrekContinuingMission.com. And coming up before the end of this year is a new episode from that show and also a new series called Star Trek Shadows of Tyranny. Shadows of Tyranny picks up right after Mirror Mirror and takes place entirely in the Mirror Universe. And we follow Spock on his course to take over the uh, Terran Empire and drive them towards eventual peace after his conversation with Captain Kirk. He uh, he is greatly affected by that. So we get to go along for that ride in a six-episode series. Are you going to have any Orions in there? You know, you wouldn't necessarily know because <laughs> it's audio. <laughs> you know, actually, that reminds me. One thing we didn't even mention, and, and some people listening may be going, you didn't mention In a Mirror Darkly because we actually do see an Orion Bridge officer on the ISS Avenger in In a Mirror Darkly. But, you know, it's in the Mirror Universe and all, and it's, we just see a character, so I didn't really put it on the outline to talk about today. But the premise there was that the Orions were conquered by the Terran Empire in the Mirror Universe. Well, they conquer all. They conquered the the Klingons as well. And, and by the end of Deep Space, they conquered everybody. So yep. T- Terrans be free. Terrans rule. Terrans rule. <laughs> Absolutely. At least in the Mirror Universe, they apparently do. But all empires fall. So we will see. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Please do check out Star Trek The Continuing Mission and Star Trek Shadows of Tyranny, shadowsoftyranny.com. And follow me on Twitter if you want to find out what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis um, and be bored by that. You are more than welcome to do so. I try to keep it interesting. Excellent. All right. Thanks again, Sebastian. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion of Orions today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. See, they say that Spock's not a funny guy. But that's this, really funny. This shows, you know, even more than his command ability, it shows that even in the most dire of situations, he still has a sense of humor. Earl Grey. Hey, Any anyway, other points on Transfigurations? Come on, no. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next okay. one. Let's go to the next one. Episode 26. The Best of Worlds. Part 1. The Orb. If it was anybody else, I would be questioning the, the ethics of it much more. But because of the relationship that Sloane and Bashir have, I almost kind of expect that... Sloan would look down on Bashir if he wasn't doing something like this. To the journey! It's just a good old action story. It's easy to follow. And yeah, okay, granted, yes, Janeway's got the rifle in her hand and she's going around, but she's shooting bugs. That could be scary, though. There's a lot of dark lights, a lot of jump scares where you open up a door and then the monster comes at your face. The ready room. Well, keep in mind, uh, espionage and spy... They have trouble with those two words in Romulan, so maybe that's maybe that's why it comes across as stilted <laughs> and contributes to the world's slowest disarmament and fight in the history of anything. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. It doesn't temper anything that the attempt is valiant. No matter how noble the knight is who fights for this king, he's fighting for a corrupt king. 
Maybe they're not trying to be valiant. Maybe the next people who come in will try to be defiant. Yes. Literary treks. And I think Kira makes a great point. We need closure. And this is a great way for us to close the book on everything that happened to us for the last 50, almost 60 years. Mm -hmm. Continuing mission. What are we going to do for the man trap? What are we going to do? Because it's all about a salt creature and a lot of it's on the planet. What do we do? And I literally just blurted out to Ashley. I was like, what if it was all about the plant? Melodic treks. No, it's got nothing to do with the actual episode. It's just the music. But I think it's really funny that... Yeah, I've changed my opinion of him, so I'll choose music from the episode that most people say is complete rubbish. Well, the first two minutes of that episode are fine. They're the same as any other episode, really, aren't they? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So tune into all of these shows and find out what else we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We cover every series. We cover science and creative. We have all kinds of discussion for you every single day. And you'll find these everywhere that you get your podcasts. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to and you'll find us there. And be sure to grab the master feed. The master feed contains every episode of every show that we do. And sometimes we put some other special audio content in there as well. And you can only get that in the master feed. While you're getting your podcasts, please consider taking a moment and leaving us a review of Warp 5 all the other shows you listen to, and we also appreciate reviews of that master feed. That helps other fans find the show as they're searching iTunes. There are so many podcasts in iTunes, and the number of reviews that you have and ratings actually does play a role in how you place in search results. So we really love to hear from you, of course, and also that's a way to help us out. Speaking of reviews, as you know, we were running a reviews promotion over the past couple of months, and that has ended, and we have pulled together all of the entries and randomly selected winners, and now we've notified those winners and communicated with them, so we can now announce who they are. And I'd like to say congratulations and a big thank you to Christopher Baca, who won a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray Also, Michael Blakemore and Robert Womack, who each won an official Starships collection ship from Japan. Gene Russell and Jake Duke each won novels. And Eric Butler and Eric Wellsby both won a complete set of our original Alien Illustration art badges. And finally, Greg Rosier won a set of three Axanar embroidered patches, which were contributed by Star Trek Axanar and Alec Peters. So thank you everyone who contributed to our promotion, who left us reviews. And for those of you who did not win those prizes, we are working on a special digital item for you. And I'll be in touch with you because I want to make sure that everyone who took the time to leave us a review gets something from the promotion. So we really thank you all. And we'll run another promotion down the road, so stay tuned for that. But I do hope that in the meantime, you will still leave us reviews. And it's just a great way to help out the show and the network. Another way that you can help us out is to become a patron of Trek FM. It's free for you to download our shows, and we love making them for you, but it's not free for us to produce them. It actually costs quite a lot of money. Just hosting alone runs me about $500 every month, 
And we really do need assistance from you as the listener to help us keep the show coming. You know, any little bit that you can contribute helps out a lot. But of course, we want to give you things back in return. So what we've done is we've set up a home on Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a lot like Kickstarter. But instead of supporting a single project, it's a way for you to support the creatives that you love on a monthly basis. You can contribute anything from a dollar to however much you want. And we have goals outlined there in the left sidebar on the page that you'll find if you go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And those goals will let you know what we're working on right now, what we need help with. At the moment, there are some one-time goals in there. And once those are taken care of, that will help us move on to other goals we have for content development for all of you guys. In the main part of the page, you will see different donation levels and a list of the perks that you get. It's just like on Kickstarter where you list perks. At the bottom level, we have things like digital wallpapers. But as you go up, you can get our shows early before the release to the public. You can get associate producer credit on shows. You can sit in on the actual recording sessions of your favorite shows. You can even take part in some shows. There are all sorts of things for you there. We have a lot of different perks. So I hope you'll go check them out at patreon.com slash trekafilm. And again, I really, really appreciate any support that you can give us in keeping the network going. We have so many shows now and our audience has grown so much. It's really, really exciting, but it's also a big challenge for us. So I really thank you for that. If you'd like to leave some feedback for us, we'd love to hear from you and hear what you think about Orion's or, of course, anything else you want to talk about in the world of Enterprise. Ideas that you have for future shows as well. If there's something you want to hear us talk about, please let me know. Go to trek.fm contact. There's a contact form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to me by email. You can also find us in social media. Our username on Twitter is trekfm. Facebook.com slash Trekafilm is where you'll find us there. We're also on G+, where we have a community. And you can send me a voicemail if you go to speakpipe.com slash Trekafilm. That's the word speak and the word pipe.com slash Trekafilm. Or look in the left sidebar on the show page on our website, and you'll see a little widget there as well. And you can record a message just using the microphone in your web camera or your smartphone or your tablet and upload it to me right from there. And I'd love to hear from you by voice, and maybe we can play some of your voicemails here on the show. If you'd like to find me personally and talk to me about Star Trek or whatever you want to talk about, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. If you follow me, send me an at reply and say hello. I don't really keep track of my followers. I'm not one of those people who counts numbers. I would love to chat with you, though. That's what I use Twitter for. So just say hello and, and we'll talk Enterprise and we'll talk Star Trek and we'll talk college football, too. If you're a football fan, I'm so glad the season is here. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jones. so feel free to hit me up there. And I have my own website at cbrianjones.com. Elsewhere on the network, I do a lot of different shows. There is The Orb, Literary Treks, Matterstream, Continuing Mission, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel, and I also co-host the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator Alec Peters. So check that out if you'd like to find out what we're talking about over there. And again, Enterprise fans, Gary Graham is reprising his role as Saval in Star Trek Axanar. Very, very cool. 
Last thing here before I let you go, I would like to tell you about Audible.com, our sponsor for today's show. One of my favorite services ever. I've been a customer for 14 years. I have hundreds of audiobooks and I listen to them all the time. I don't have enough time to read all the books I would like to read. So Audible is a great way for me to listen to those because that is something that I can do as I'm working. So go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and support them and get a free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. If you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep that audiobook. But when you sign up, we do get some help from Audible to keep the shows coming to you. So please check them out. audibletrial.com slash trekfm is the URL. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thanks again to Sebastian for dropping by today to talk about Orion's with me. Be sure to go check out his work as well and all the audio dramas that he's doing. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. I really do appreciate it, everyone. And I hope you'll join me next time here in the Decon Chamber for yet another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>